from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. A time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay. My co-host, Corbin Ford, will not be with us this week. He is busy uh, becoming uh, one of the newest batch of graduates of Sports Business Classroom, the 2020 class. But uh, speaking of SBC, I have a, a very special guest, a fellow SBC graduate, and uh, a guy that has, uh, has been a regular on the program, a big-time Dallas Mavericks fan, and one of the best guys I got to meet in Vegas, Frankie Neifinger. Frankie, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I think this is uh, maybe number three. So I think, I think this is maybe going to be a consistent thing. I'm happy with this. Yeah. <laughs> you've, you've passed the, uh, the, the, the very strict test of uh, being a guest on Duncan Dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, so uh, Frankie, of course, uh, as I mentioned, a big, big Mavericks fan, and the uh, the NBA playoffs pretty much have been set, other than the, uh, we're recording this on a, uh, a Friday night, so other than the Western Conference 8 seed, all of the uh, the playoff matchups have been set, uh, so, and the, uh, the matchup for the Dallas Mavericks is against my favorites to uh, to go all the way and win the title, the Los Angeles Clippers in the two seed, Dallas sitting at the seven spot. And at the end of the episode, we'll uh, we'll quickly go through and talk about some of those other uh, Western Conference series and give a, a brief thought on those and, and some predictions. But uh, first, Frankie, this is going to be a matchup. This Dallas Mavericks versus Los Angeles Clippers series is going to be a battle of two very high-powered offenses. Yeah, and I'm kind of with you in the whole Clippers as the favorite to win the title this year. They just they just have the, they have the deepest roster. They you know they have Kawhi Leonard, who's a proven playoff player. But Dallas Mavericks had quite the offense. Luka Doncic is just he's been on fire pretty much the entire bubble. Just stat just stats everywhere. Leading a great offense. Teams the team's doing well. I wouldn't say they're you know, at their peak right now, but I also don't know if if even their peak would be able to handle this Clippers team. Yeah, uh, speaking to the the high powered Mavericks offense, they are first in offensive rating and, and posted the best offensive rating in the history of the NBA this season. So their offense is no joke. Uh, they are just 18th though in defensive rating, but an impressive sixth. In, uh, in the NBA, in point differential, they outscored their opponents by an average of 4.8 points per possession. So, Frankie, you know, you talk about this Dallas team sitting there as a seven seed, and of course we've known this for, for the past couple of decades, that the Western Conference is, is much better than the East, 
but this is not your typical seven seed as far as the the numbers and the the eye test would indicate. No, I mean I would. If I'm the Mavs, I am. The, the Clippers are the last team I want to play. But if I'm the Clippers, I think you know if you're looking at the back half of the, the Western playoff teams, I think the Mavs are probably the last team they want to play. I mean, depending on what happens with Portland, just considering how hot Dame is right now. But yeah, I mean the Mavericks are definitely. When you can put up that many points, you can really you're in any game. Um, kind of like the Rockets of the last couple of years. Obviously, you know, Rockets had that great defense as well. But when you can score that many points, you're really never too far out of reach. You're never too far out of the game. So, I mean, if I'm the Clippers, I'm a little worried. I think their their, their biggest concern, at least, is going to be Montrezl Harrell and trying to get him up to speed because, yeah, obviously he's had his family issues, his personal issues, and he was away from the bubble. And he hasn't had that game, uh, you, know, you know, the game minutes to really get his wind under him. And as an energy guy, as a guy who, you know, a big body, it's going to be important for him to really get up to speed and get his conditioning ready. And the Clippers are going to need him, hopefully, or they're planning, I imagine, on needing him later on in the playoffs. So they're going to need to work out the kinks. And that might be, a, you know, give the Mavs an opening to maybe steal a game or two. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, if, if you uh, uh, if you were to ask me w- at what point would you like to play the Clippers, at what point would in the playoffs would you have the best chance, I would say it's right now playing them in round one. You know, you, you mentioned it. They, uh, they haven't had Harrell for their reseeding game, so, you know, even if he does come back at some point uh, in this first-round series, it's going to be a matter of, you know, trying to get back up at, to speed and, and get into game shape. Uh, Lou Williams, of course, came back about halfway through the bubble and has, has looked reasonably good. Uh, but then guys guys like Patrick Beverly as well have, have missed most of the uh, the games within the bubble. So a couple of key players in the uh, in the Clippers rotation, you know, are, are not at uh, 100% when this gets started. But, uh, you know, L.A. at uh, 48 and 23, they're actually playing their final reseeding game uh, pretty much as we're recording this, they're playing against Oklahoma City. Uh, but uh, they are second in offensive rating, fifth in defensive rating, and third in the NBA in point differential outscoring opponents by 6.5 points per 100 possessions. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a situation where, you know, you look at you look at the Dallas, uh, the Dallas roster, Frankie, and outside of, outside of the likes of maybe Seth Curry, uh, they uh, they have mostly been healthy for for most of the bubble. Yeah, they've been good. I mean, dealing with the same kind of level of rest and, and maybe nagging injuries that you know any average team has been has been dealing with. So, from a health perspective, I'm I'm pretty confident in the in the team you know being ready to go. Come I think Monday night at, at you know nine Eastern is the first game. So they should be ready. But again, it's it's against. Well, arguably the best team in the league. You just you know put up the offense, defense, net rating numbers. They're incredible. They have some of the best stars in the league. So if the Mavs don't maybe steal game one, I think it's going to be really tough to climb back into the series. But I think stealing game one is a real possibility for the things you've mentioned before, just the, the continuity that the Clippers may not have due to injuries and, and just being out of the bubble and needing to play through those in order to get to where they want to be in a couple of weeks, assuming they, you know, assuming they win the series. 
Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be really interesting. That game one at nine o'clock on Monday, as you said, the, is the game I'm most excited for on that opening day of the NBA playoffs. Um, you know, you mentioned the the star power on the Clippers and in the likes of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, but uh, given that uh, you follow the Mavericks closely, I wanted to talk a little bit first about uh, the the couple of Mavs stars and Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. Uh, Luka, you know, taking uh, taking fewer threes so far in the bubble. In fact, 10% less. But he is getting to the rim more often. 39% of his shot attempts compared to 32% uh, prior to the bubble. And the assist rate, you know, he's he's obviously putting up these crazy triple-double counting stats. But uh, assist rate of 50% on the floor. So every... Every basket that his teammates score while he's out there, he's assisting on half of them, which is just ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's absolutely unreal the way he's playing, and it's as beautiful as, to, as it is to watch. It's also one of the things that concerns me most, at least going against the Clippers, because when your offense is is so heavily revolved around one player, and you're going up against a team that has arguably maybe the two. You know, most ideal fits to guard that one player individually. It makes it really tough. It's going to be really tough, and just a fun challenge, I imagine, for Luca. But something that means what twenty or twenty-one years old going to have to step up and and perform against Kawhi Leonard and Paul George like that, who are going to be taking turns on him. And uh, I mean, who? When you look at the Mavericks roster, who is that secondary playmaker if Luca can't get things going? If he's shut down, who do you? Who do you see as somebody who can take over and, and maybe lead them to a victory? Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting question. You know, they've got yeah, they've got guys that uh, you know as as secondary ball handlers are maybe a little bit overqualified in the likes of or uh, underqualified, I should say, in the likes of of Seth if Curry and <laughs> yeah, Seth Curry and Delon Wright. Yeah, thank you. But uh, the the interesting thing. In, in a development that I have noticed in the bubble, the the, the improved shooting of Kristaps Porzingis makes it a little bit interesting because you mentioned, you know, if, if the Clippers are able to switch a lot of those those screen and rolls with the likes of, of Doncic and Porzingis and try to take Doncic away as much as possible, um, you know, Porzingis with his size and shooting ability might be a, a bit of an X factor in this series. And, you know, his shooting has improved across the board. You know, he... Uh, Prior to the bubble, was shooting 67% at the rim, 36% in the mid-range, and 35% from three. But uh, now, uh, in Orlando, he's shooting up to 74% at the basket, 39% in the mid-range, and 38% from three. Uh, he's also drawing more fouls, I think, in, in part because you know he's playing more at the five and, and playing that uh, pick-and-roll game as opposed to just exclusively picking and popping. But yeah, Porzingis is is kind of as uh, as much of a star as he is, a bit of an X factor, and, and somebody that the Mavs are certainly going to need to play well to to compete in this uh, in this matchup. Yeah, I mean the way he's been shooting the ball, and it's not just that he's shooting it so well from three. And really, I mean I watch a ton of Mavs games. Whether or not the ball goes in, you can tell when somebody you know seems like they you know have a good flow of the game and are in control of their form and everything's kind of. They're repeating the same motions over and over, and since he's been a Mav, which granted hasn't been too long, but I also live in New York, so I'm on the next a ton, I haven't seen his form look this um, 
uh, replicable in his entire career. So watching him, every, every time he shoots the ball, I think it's going to go in now. That wasn't the case before. And not only is he making more shots, but he's also taking fewer of those mid-ranges, or at least the bad mid-ranges. And just the numbers you brought up, he's getting to the rim, he's getting fouled, and, and he's taking more threes. And when you're taking away those mid-ranges, you're just moving, you know, 5 10% of your shots into more efficient shots. That, that you know, makes a big difference over the course of the game, over the course of the series. So I hope he can keep it up. I think he can. He definitely, you know, if he can stay out on that three-point line and three feet beyond the three-point line, that just creates more room for Luca, which I think he's going to need, and it creates more room for those secondary playmakers, which they'll need. It creates more passing lanes. It's just a lot of good things happen when he's when he's stretched out, especially when he's you know two, three, four feet behind the line that he has in these last couple games. The other thing that scares me, you know, when when you uh, from from a Clippers perspective, you know, dealing with this this high powered offense. You know, Luka Doncic for the season, I think, shot around 33% from three. It's actually been down a little bit, around 31% in Orlando. But what scares me is if if Luka all of a sudden gets hot with that step back for four or five games, I mean, there's there's there, there might not be any answers to defend him at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty incredible. And I was thinking, I was considering what are the things that would need to happen for the Mavs to pull this one off. And I think, obviously, Luka needs to make his step back. But I was trying to think of the last four, five, six-game stretch where he's been on fire with that, and I, I couldn't really remember it, so I don't know if there's really precedent for it yet. That being said, he is taking fewer. He is getting the hoop more. He's got that incredible assist rate. So, I mean, as long as somebody's taking threes and making them, I mean, Dorian Finney-Smith is up. I think he's around 41% in the bubble. He's played a couple of great games, especially that one against Milwaukee. Um, and obviously Seth, Seth Curry, Tim Hardaway, Chris Dapps, you mentioned, they have tons of shooters. It's just a matter of, you know, can we get enough shots off? And, and you know, can Luka distribute the ball? Because Kawhi and Paul George are going to be all over him. And I, I'm actually kind of curious. I imagine those two will be trading off on Luka. Who do you think and who do you think should guard KP? majority of the time at least that's interesting i mean with with the way dallas has has kind of downsized and uh, you know taken kleber out of the starting lineup you know the uh the obvious matchup would be zubach but uh, at the same time you know he's uh, he's somebody that uh, is best when he's able to to be at the rim protecting the basket getting rebounds and, and that's why this mavs offense is is so prolific is because porzingis can bring that that traditional center away from the basket so successfully. Um, so, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see. And, and yeah, the way Dorian Finney-Smith is shooting the three, is, as you brought up, it's hard to find, you know, just a, a guy that you can throw Zubac on uh, like a non-shooter. They just don't have too many of those on this roster. No, and, and that, the downside of that is, in the one game of the nice play against the Clippers in the bubble, Zubac, I think, went like, 11 to 12, or 11 of 11, even. And he, he just destroyed Dallas down low, and there's nothing we can do about it. And, you know, the KP Zubach trade off kind of went Los Angeles' way, which was which kind of shocking. And even if they do, you know, if, if KP outplays Zubach, which I imagine he will, and, you know, wins that matchup, 
the bigger question is, who are the Mavs going to put on Kawhi Leonard and Paul George? I mean, stopping Luka is one thing, stopping KP is another thing, but then the Mavs don't really have that defensive potential to lock up two you know, elite scorers. Right, and even one of their better perimeter defenders in DeLon Wright doesn't really have a great matchup of, to, you know, for, for Carlisle to throw him on because a lot of the, 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 uh, the Clippers' point guards and, and off guards are just kind of standing out there as spot-up guys. Um, so, yeah, it, that is definitely a concern. And, and speaking to the, the likes of, of Kawhi and Paul George, Looking at some of their numbers, you know, Kawhi obviously has been just a, an incredibly consistent player throughout his career, but he's actually been shooting uh, a lot poorer from mid-range, you know, the shot that uh, many people consider to be his specialty, uh, his uh, his go-to move, and he's shooting 36% from the mid-range in the bubble compared to 46% prior to the shutdown, but he is doing a better job uh, not only getting to the rim, but finishing at the at the basket, and then also he's He's shooting really well from three, so uh, I, I, I'm not really that concerned about Kawhi, and I, I think I saw that the Clippers have like a positive 18-point differential when Kawhi's been on the floor in Orlando, so they've been very good with him out there. And, uh, you know, Paul George as well has looked healthier. He's even said it himself that the further he's gotten away from those couple of shoulder surgeries, the better he has felt, and, and he's been playing and, and shooting like he did in his uh, – last season in OKC where he was, uh, you know, a top five MVP candidate. Uh, George shooting 50% from three in the bubble. Uh, so, uh, you know, those two guys looking as good as ever. And, and that's another thing that makes this series so exciting is, you know, you've got these four stars and they all seem to be playing at the, at the top of their, uh, at the top of their game. Yeah, it'll be exciting. And just real quick on that, that Paul George, the way he's shooting in the bubble is unreal, and if you if you watch him, it looks smooth, it looks comfortable, and that's not something we've seen in a little while. I, I don't know if this is going to be embarrassing for you or not, but a, a, a video or two of you leaked out on social media in the last couple <laughs> months where you are firing from three. You are hitting from everywhere. It is, it is a quick release. It is a high arc. It is beautiful. Like, if we can zoom in on the video... And like cut everybody else out, just you. We can go on that uh, that masterclass and teach everybody how to shoot. So more than the Steph Curry shooting masterclass, I'm not even close. It was it was impressive. I didn't know you had that kind of range. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, that was uh, going back in the the good old days, about a decade ago, when those <laughs> those clips were uh, were uh, were happening. But yeah, it, uh, it was. <laughs> yeah, the uh, it was funny. Scott Levine, um, somebody that was also was in our uh, SBC class, was was uh, was commenting on Twitter saying that uh, uh, the release and everything was good, except for the fact that he he predicted that I wouldn't be able to shoot as well going to my right, and and he was spot on. He could just tell from the way my foot was positioned in the clip. <laughs> yeah, Scott knows this stuff. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, I appreciate that. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the thing I wanted to, to get your thoughts on is, as far as the Mavericks, again, you know, we talked about them being sixth in point differential, but, again, not having the record to to uh, um, equate to that uh, that good of a net rating. They're just 43 and 32, and a lot of that has come down to just uh, losing a lot of close games, and, and that has continued not just from the 
from the regular season, but into the bubble as well. Of course, that first game against Houston was a game where, man, oh man, they uh, they absolutely outplayed the Rockets, but then just kind of uh, were not able to to score on the offensive end for the final three or four minutes and, and blew that game in overtime. They, of course, had that uh, real close loss to to Portland as well, but is the is the failure in these close games a concern to you at all? Um, I wouldn't say... So it's not something I'm worried about long-term. Um, uh, they had, I think it was like five close games in the bubble. I think they, they beat Sacramento and Milwaukee in overtime. Milwaukee being double overtime. And then, like you said, the Rockets, Blazers, and then um, they had one more close... Look at the Suns. No, that's the close game that's up. I'm not worried about it because I see it more as a, a systematic problem where they're playing the same offense in those final you know two three minutes that they play the rest of the game, which one of the best offenses in history. But the way it functions is a lot of threes and and layups. It's very hard and ask. And then Luca doesn't. I can't remember the last time Luca took a mid range shot. Um, so what? you're really losing that entire area of space to work with where the defense thinks you're a threat. And when two points becomes much more valuable in those last two minutes, not really having that um, at your access is kind of an issue. It makes you a little bit more predictable. And there's just higher uh, volatility in terms of making the three, missing the three, getting the foul call, not getting the foul call. So it works out in the long run, but in those short stints, it kind of, there's a lot of shooting luck and foul luck involved, and I think they've just had a lot of bad luck. So it'll be interesting. Uh, I would say probably not this year. I imagine there's going to be you know, another close game against the Clippers where they struggle offensively down the stretch. But I think next year, two years from now, they're going to figure out ways where maybe it's Luka generating some mid-range shots, maybe it's KP generating some mid-range shots, getting more touches that are just, when you only need two points, you need a point. It's a little bit more high percentage than those threes, and, and it becomes valuable. Just like, like that Kawhi, you know, he's great in clutch situations because he can always get that two, that you know, that mid range two points. So, you know, having plays and situations and, and knowing what you're going to go to to maybe get those two points and give your your offense a little bit more flexibility is going to be really valuable. Um, but I just don't see it happening this year. It just don't happen in the system yet. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's um, you know the the one thing I would I would like to see Dallas try to do and and yeah you mentioned the maybe a weakness of, of not having that secondary ball handler as well earlier and and then that can be an issue you know Luca can might just be getting tired a little bit at the end of these games yeah a little harder yeah yeah um, but one thing I would like to see them do and maybe this would would uh, make it a little easier on on Luca in in the last couple of minutes is posting him up. You know, he's got a he's got a really good post game, you know, instead of having him just over and over again try to attack from the three-point line, you know, get him off the ball to start the possession, set a cross screen and, and get him on the block and work from there and kind of play inside out basketball. And again with the Mavericks shooting, that uh, that's a really deadly a really deadly play. You know, I hadn't really considered that, right? I think that's a pretty good idea. He's so, you know, uh, he's great at getting foul calls. He's, you know, great at seeing all the passes, all the angles from really anywhere he is. So, yeah, maybe he usually has a smaller guy on, or you can switch 
know, get, get a screen and switch and, and get the ball down low. And I think he's just as lethal a passer. And he's, he really is. He's so strong. Um, yeah, that's actually... I would, I would hope to see that. I didn't really consider that as an option. I would hope to see that late game in the Clippers series. Although, you know, as strong as Luka is, you know, the Clippers are maybe one of the worst teams to try that against with, you know, Kawhi. Yeah, you know, Morris is pretty big. Jermichael Green is pretty big. It's, it's not the ideal team for, for one-on-one matchups. Yeah, even even Patrick Beverly is a bulldog at, at the point guard position if he's out there. Yeah. So yeah, that. Well, he just worries me because he's gonna hurt. Like every time he's in the game, I think he's gonna hurt somebody. <laughs> yeah. It's really uncomfortable to watch, and he, he makes it. You know, he acts like it's because he's playing hard, but he's not playing hard. Other people play hard. I'm not fearful fearful for other people's you know health. The uh... I got I got my own Patrick Be- Beverly uh, laundry. <laughs> he's an unsafe player, and I think he's going to hurt somebody who really matters at one point. And it's not going to be funny anymore. It's not going to be trash talk. Well, I mean, it uh, it's happened already, right, with the uh, Russell Westbrook from a few years back. Yeah, and I think the only reason he got away with it is because maybe he wasn't, you know, he was, he was new to the behavior. People weren't accustomed to it yet. Now it's a trend, and then when somebody gets hurt, it's going to be a big issue. But I hope it doesn't happen. I hope I'm wrong. I yeah. Hard, nobody ever gets hurt. I'd love to be wrong about this. Yeah, other than the other than the few early injuries in in Orlando, I think it's been pretty promising how uh, how healthy most of the teams have been able to stay throughout this process and yeah, hopefully that hopefully that continues. Uh, but but yeah, you're you mentioning the whole idea of uh, just the Clippers size that they can throw out on the floor. It it's going to be a challenge and and not only for Luka to potentially post up, but even in the pick and roll game uh, they're going to be able to switch a lot of those actions and, and, and of course, take away a little bit of, of Luka being able to just pick apart a traditional defense. The thing about the Clippers, I would say it's probably the worst team for Luka because he is so smart that I think he can he can really beat any team defense a good amount of time. And then we saw against Milwaukee, that's, a, that's the best team defense of the season, and he picked them apart. Because they don't have, at least, you know, to Luka, an individually great defender. But then you look at the Clippers, another, you know, really good, really, really good team defense, but also those great individual defenders who can put pressure on Luka and really stop him from getting his angles, getting to his spots, which, you know, that's what opens up the angles to beat, you know, to beat the team defense. So it worries me. I, I I hope he can rise to the challenge. I would not be surprised in the least if he does. But I mean, it's Kawhi and Paul George are you know they're household names for for a reason. Yeah, and looking at the the other end of the floor, you you mentioned this earlier, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's hard to. Uh, you know, if you if you squint really hard, it's still difficult to come up with uh, a player on the Mavericks that you think can can slow those two guys down. Um, and uh, hey, you know, Dorian Finney Smith is our is our star stopper. Yeah, and as much and, as I love Dorian Finney Smith, I don't know if he's a star stopper. Yeah, um, I know in the Blazers game they they even briefly put him on on Damian Lillard and yeah. didn't really go too well. <laughs> nothing, nothing went well. <laughs> Anybody in the last 30 days starting That's true. Um, the only person who can guard him is Dane Lillard at the free throw line. Nobody <laughs> yeah. else has been able to stop him. <laughs> there was, uh, I saw a, 
an audio clip come out of uh, for that uh, Blazers Nets game where Dame hit a step back three in the right corner, and you hear the defender in in one of the court mics saying, "Gosh, damn!" He's <laughs> like, it's got no answers for this guy. But uh, yeah, the the other thing that I find fascinating about this series is. You know, one of the things that I think the Clippers have been, you know, all year have had an advantage over most teams is that depth edge. You know, they're a deep roster. They can bring that Lou Williams, Montrez, Harrell uh, combo off the bench, and and they average nearly 40 points a game, the two of them. Obviously, uh, you know, the likes of Jermichael Green can come in and and be a three-point small ball center. Um, and, and, you know, Landry Shamit, I'm, I'm a big Landry Shamit fan. I think he's a solid contributor as well. But, you know, when you compare that to Dallas, you know, with, with the play of, of Trey Burke and, uh, you know, you've got uh, DeLon Wright, who I really like, you know, Maxi Kleba coming off the bench. You know, the Mavs, the Mavs have a really solid bench as well. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a difference. I think the Mavs have a, have a pretty average bench, but... Once teams go to their bench units, it's where you can really see the difference in the coaching ability. So, the Raptors always have a good bench. Pop teams always have a good bench. The Colorado's teams always have a good bench. And for years, the Mavs have had one of the best benches in the league. And I think that, you know, maybe slightly more talent than other teams, but in a lot of ways, that's just, that's where coaching maybe shines the most, is getting those bench players to play their roles, play the right way, and execute the offense and defense the right way. So yeah, I mean, good players. I, I actually think the Mavs bench might have a slight edge on the Clippers bench in this series because of the, the continuity and the, the lack of playing time that Montrose Harrell has and and, um, and the Williams has had. So I, I think at least early on, the Mavs actually do have an advantage there, but if you know, game one, we Lou and, and Trez end up putting up 45, 50 points. Am I going to be shocked in the least? Absolutely not. Yeah, that's that's a really good point about, uh, you know, and, and yeah, Rick Carlisle, absolutely one of the uh, the best coaches in the league. And, and uh, yeah, there there is a trend that uh, a, lot of, a lot of franchises just consistently get solid bench production, and that's despite having, uh, you know, a, a lot of different personnel over the course of uh, several years. So, uh, yeah, that's that's something I had to consider. That's a really interesting point. But, uh, yeah, speaking of, of good coaching, you know, again, the Clippers have solid, solid, really solid coaching in, in Doc Rivers as well. Uh, you know, again, speaking to all of these fascinating storylines, this is a, a matchup of two coaches that have, have won an NBA championship, have been around the league for a really long time, both played in the 1980s, Doc Rivers was a little bit better of a player than Rick Carlisle was, but uh, but two guys that have been around the league for for a really long time. So another just really fun potential battle, and, and another thing to kind of uh, break down as this series goes on. Yeah, and I, and I think part of what we're going to see throughout the series is, and you don't see it a ton, and for whatever reason, I just think it's going to happen. I think these teams are going to really respect each other. As, as the series goes on, regardless of who's winning, who's losing, I think a lot of a lot of the top tier talent in the league has you know maybe more slowly than normal, but taken to Luca and, and realized how great he is. And I think, like you said, Doc and Rick go way back, and they've been around. 
around forever. I think that now you win some, you lose some. You know, you show respect, you play your hardest. That's kind of how they've, they've done everything their entire careers. So it should be like a, from a wholesome standpoint, you know, there might be some jawing with some people, but I think it's actually going to be a pretty, a pretty wholesome series. It's nice. You don't see that too often in sports. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh... Pat Beverly. Don't forget. <laughs> Pat Beverly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a good chance that this is going to be uh yeah a really fun fun matchup on on both ends of the floor and you know speaking to like you know your the pick and roll coverage on both teams I think there's there's a likelihood that you're going to see a lot of switching from you know one through four on both rosters and then you know, when you've got, uh, the Clippers are going to be able to put Porzingis in a pick and roll, and, and obviously Kristaps, as he showed in that uh, in that Blazers game, not uh, really capable of, of switching out on the perimeter against quick guys. Um, so, you know, they're probably going to have to play that traditionally if the if the Clippers screen with, with Zubac or, or their center. And and same goes the other direction. You know, we, we talked about Luka might struggle with the switching that, that the Clippers can throw out there, but at least with with Zubac, I think if they set the screen with Zubac's man, he's going to be able to get a, a traditional drop-back uh, scheme thrown at him. Yeah, I think that'll be that'll be a good little little game inside the game barrage. I think I think that the, the Clippers will switch, and, or, and uh, I think Zubac is going to drop back, and KP's going to be wide open for two plays, and then they'll adjust when the Mavs are on defense. I'm actually not terribly worried about KP getting put in a pick and roll. I think his big issue is with, you know, crazy quick release and super quick to the rim. And, you know, when Kawhi drives, it's bruising, it's methodical, it's at his own pace. And Paul George doesn't really take it to the hoop as much. So I'm not pos- I don't. I'm not worried about the Clippers really exposing KP in the pick and roll as much as you know, guys like Dame did, and, you know, if, if in some scenario that the, the Mavs end up playing the Rockets, like James Harden would, I actually think that maybe he can handle this role pretty well. Interesting, yeah. I, I, I probably agree with that when it comes to Kawhi. Paul George, I'm a little bit more concerned about, especially because of that step-back three that he can go to, and then if Porzingis really has to press him to stop that shot, uh, then I think George should be able to get around him, but but yeah, that that's an interesting point. Yeah, those guys aren't aren't super quick like like a Damian Lillard. So yeah, that uh, that lack of foot speed might not be as big of a problem. Uh, but but yeah, the um, who do you imagine might be like a if you had to pick an X factor in this series, uh, whether that be a starter, a bench player, one of the coaches, uh, what. Uh, uh, the the virtual fans. <laughs> um, uh, who, who might uh, who might be an X factor in this series? Um, I mean, from from the Mavericks side, I would say because these teams are pretty, they kind of are what they are. Their their players play very specific roles. They're generally pretty consistent throughout the year. It's not you know it's not the Rockets where you know Westbrook can be hot or he can be cold. It's not. You know, it's not like that. But I guess, you, and you mentioned it earlier, Luka maybe hitting the step back can just open everything up. And I don't care who you are. It's, you can't really guard that because he's got a tight dribble. He dribbles into you and he takes you know, two, arguably three. 
giant steps back and he <laughs> fires away. And if he can make it, then it's really like you can't really do anything there. So I guess from the Mavericks perspective, it would be Luca's step back, but everything else I kind of see going as anticipated. And then from the Clippers perspective, it's it's going to be how well can Trent and Montrezl Harrell adjust and you know get his legs under him, and how well can the team start gelling again. And what does this team look like fully formed, having everybody there and having some reps under their belt in the bubble? So I, I don't, I don't really know. They're, they're they're two fascinating teams, but at the same time, they're they're not very exciting in terms of all the different variables that can be thrown in because they they play pretty pretty straightforward every time. You know what they're going to do? They're just going to do it well. Yeah, and. You know, I'm not that concerned about uh, Montrez Harrell in, in large part because of the way Jamichael Green has has played and shot the ball for the Clippers. You know, I've always thought that uh, their their best lineups might even feature Green as a small ball center. Um, and you know, Zubac I think is is certainly uh, a, a decent player and, and deserving of uh, of at least 20 to 24 minutes. Um, so. I, I would think the Clippers can can put out good players and still kind of just slowly work Montrez back. And if he's not producing, he doesn't have to play that much. Uh, but but yeah, the the Luca step back comment very yeah very on point. And and yeah, also I think the uh, you know um, it's it's a little bit boring to to say that the X factors are going to be the star players. But uh, you know if Paul George shoots fifty percent from three in the series, uh, it's. It's going to be a problem, you know. If, if Porzingis is able to to for a, a couple game stretch shoot forty five percent from three, you know, on the attempts that he's taking from thirty feet away, you know, that's going to be an issue for the Clippers to deal with. So, uh, yeah, that'll that'll all be fascinating. So uh, the the question I like to to throw at my guests when we do these kind of uh, these playoff previews is. Okay, if the Mavs get down 0-2 in the series, you know, it's not going well. Say they, they, they lose both games 1-2 and two by double digits. What is the out-of-the-box uh, crazy idea that Rick Carlisle might come up with uh, to try to change the tide and, and, and get his team back in the series? How religious is Rick Carlisle? What's his praying <laughs> regimen? Can he, can he up his prayers? Is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if they're down 0-2 losing by double digits, I, I don't really know what they can do. I mean, like I said, like the Mavs don't have a, a star secondary ball handler. So, I, I, I don't really know. It's, there's really nothing they can do. They just got to keep playing the way they're playing. I think you know, Rick's a really smart coach. He knows he's on his team, and he's, he's crafted an offense and a defense that I think best suits the team. So if it just happens to not work, then it's really not because the machine failed. It's because they just went against a better machine. And I think the Clippers are very likely going to be a better machine. You mean there's so no, there, there's no, there's no uh, bring JJ Bray into the starting lineup in the 2011 move that that Carlisle might have up his sleeve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, if we if we can get 2011 JJ Bray on the floor, <laughs> that would be something to watch. Pat Beverly. <laughs> Yeah, um, and and speaking from the the Clippers' perspective, if I had to come up with anything, yeah, it would it would probably be you know if, if Dallas is able to win games one and two, and the and the Clippers are are down 0-2, that would for one that would that would shock me. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Dallas wins one of the first couple games, but 
winning both would 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 take a lot. Uh, <laughs> but uh, if that were to happen, you know, the the thing I I could imagine seeing the Clippers go to again is depending on what center is playing well out of the Zubach Harrell Green combination. Um, you know, really maybe pushing one of those guys' minutes up towards 30 or even 40, uh, depending on, you know, yeah, who's who's doing well. And frankly, again, I, I you know, a lot of people consider Jamichael Green the third-string center on this team. But I think there's, there's, there's a, a decent likelihood that in a couple of the series in these playoffs that uh, he might be Doc's best option. Yeah, I mean, and, and the event in the Mavs were up too, right? I think KP is probably hitting about six threes a game. Yeah. So that's going to be Zubach dropping down. And, yeah, you move in Jermichael Green. He's a little quicker. And he can get out of KP, maybe take away some threes, maybe put the ball in the floor, make it pass the ball, give it up. So, yeah, if, if the Mavs happen to be up 2-0, I think that's a huge nod to what KP is doing. And then Doc's move is to try to neutralize him a little bit because, no matter what, you can't put anybody better than Kawhi and Paul George on, on Luka, so you can't really make an adjustment there. You know, you can only make the adjustment on everybody else. And so, and that's that's Jermichael Green. I agree with you. He's he's probably a little bit uh, underrated in terms of his potential value on this team. Absolutely. So, Frankie, was there anything else about this series you felt like uh, we've we've missed or need to talk about before we get to our prediction? Fun. I don't think the Mavs are going to win the series, but I think if you're going to lose any first-round series, you might as well be against the team that might give you the hardest problems in the future, or the, the, the team style that might give you the hardest problems in the future, because that's great. Uh, that's just great experience for Luca, for KP, for, for Rick, for the entire team to see this is this is the top level. We can't beat it, but these are the things we did well. These are the things we didn't do well and need to shore up. And I think it gives them a great opportunity to come back next year and, and you know, be even more competitive. Absolutely. You know, um, we may have even done, like, a, a Mavs season preview before this year. I, I don't remember, but um, I, I do remember at the time thinking that, yeah, if, if they just get into the first round of the playoffs and, and uh, allow Luka to, to whet his appetite with postseason basketball, I think that's – uh, really a perfect scenario for Dallas and, and given how young they are and that they can still kind of upgrade, upgrade their roster in future years. Yeah, just getting this taste and, uh, and you know, seeing how close they are or maybe how far away they are and moving from there is, is going to be good. Win or loss, I think this is a, is a good result for, for Dallas. So, uh, yeah, you want to give your prediction first or you want to hear mine? Um, let's, go with, uh, let's go with yours. Okay, so... I am picking the Clippers in six. I am with you on that one. Okay. So the Mavs have been one, been one of the first two, and then uh, in the power of game five. So I see it. Yeah, the, um, you know, again, both teams with, uh, with a couple of stars playing well. There's plenty of shooting and depth around them, good coaching. Uh, and, and, yeah, like, uh, I think the, the Mavs' offense is just playing too good to expect that they're not going to have a couple of games in this series where they just go crazy. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think they can take a couple. But, again, the, the defense and, again, I think having the 
the best player in the series in Kawhi Leonard, and I think there will be a couple of tight games where the Clippers might have a bit of an edge, as you said, with, with Kawhi's ability to, to score in the mid-range, that type of shot that the teams concede in the final couple of minutes uh, that will uh, give the, the Clippers the edge. But I think it's going to be a, a blast of a series to watch. Yeah, I can't wait to watch it. It's going to be great. We got other series in the West, too. What do you think is going to happen uh, with that other team in LA? We got the Lakers. Lakers against. But should we, should we assume Portland? I say we just do both. We'll predict. Uh, we'll we predict Lakers Portland, and we'll predict Lakers uh, Lakers Memphis as well. Um, okay. So well, I'll do Lakers Memphis. Get it out of the way. Um, I think the Lakers sweep that series. I, I agree with you. Uh, the, the loss of Jaron Jackson Jr. is just too much. You know, you know, that Memphis team didn't have much spacing even prior to him going out with that meniscus tear. Uh, he was, you know, he was attempting like double-digit threes as a center <laughs> for them. You know, he was really providing a good chunk of, of that spacing for Morant to operate. Now they just don't have enough shooting. Teams are going under Morant a lot. And uh, he hasn't been able to uh, to really defeat defenses that way. And, you know, Memphis is a team like Dallas, still very young and, uh, you know, probably still a year away from getting to the Mavericks level. So so I agree that uh, that's not going to be too particularly close if, if it ends up being if Memphis is able to win both playing games and, and, and get the eight seed. But, uh, yeah, what about... Uh, what about if it's the Lakers going up against the hottest player in the NBA, maybe since Stephen Curry in 2016 and Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers? Yeah, the, the way Dame is playing, it's like, uh, I don't know. He's he's on ball the way James Harden's on ball, but he's shooting as well as Steph is shooting. It's like the, he's like morphing the two of them and like taking the best of their games and putting them together. And it's like, is. Bill Simmons always had, you know, if, if you have the best player in the series, you always have a chance. Is, is Dan Lillard, I mean, I know LeBron is LeBron, but is right now Dan Lillard the, the best player in the series? It, it kind of sounds silly, but it, it's almost a legitimate question. I mean, I'm going to feel stupid about it in about a week and a half, <laughs> but, but right now it seems like a legitimate question that if it was on first take, I wouldn't be too upset. I wouldn't be like, oh, this is ridiculous. I'd be like, yeah, good point. Let's see what they say. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a fair question. You know, I think I saw the Lakers are uh, have a net rating of negative five with LeBron on the floor in the bubble. Uh, it's just uh, you know the, the the Lakers have not looked particularly good. Now, um, Lakers teams in the I mean LeBron's teams in the past have shown a propensity to be able to flip a switch come playoff time, and would would not be surprised at all if the Lakers are are capable of doing that. And also, you know. The uh, you know we, we talked about that the, the Mavs don't really have a lot of good defensive options. That is the same for the Blazers, probably times ten. Um, the, and especially uh, nobody to, to yeah nobody defend LeBron especially. Um, so uh, yeah it uh, but yeah the Blazers offense is for real. They're the best offense in the bubble. Uh, you know, Damian Lillard is playing out of his mind. I think Yusuf Nurkic being back has given them that that guy that when when teams trap Lillard, Nurkic is is pretty good at running those four on threes because he's got a decent handle. He's he's pretty mobile. He's a good passer, uh, and you know when he gets ahead of steam, he can he can throw a he can throw a facial down on anybody. He's he's been playing great. I, I loved watching him before. 
the injury, but I was hoping he would come back to his old self. And he's, he's definitely even been better. And actually, read your article on RipCityProject.com, uh, big stats article, and where should go read it, RipCityProject.com. But is, is Yusuf Nurkic really that bad at the rim? I was reading, and you brought it up. He's like, what was it like? At the rim, what was he shooting? 59, 59% in the bubble. And he is a monster. Yeah. And uh, he's got good hands. He's got good footwork. It's not like he's he's like throwing lame hooks up. He's, he's getting good shots. And yeah. Maybe it's small sample size. I don't know. But you, I mean, I think in the article, even you mentioned that it's kind of being a recurring issue for him. Yeah, he's never shot better than 61% in, at the rim I, for his uh, seven-year career. It's... Um, it's, it's kind of shocking, and yeah, especially considering that, yeah, he'll get a couple of dunks just about every game, it seems like. Um, yeah, I was so shocked reading that. Yeah. Um, I it, had no idea. <laughs> I thought it was just like a, a, I mean, I knew, you know, he's just a good, good overall all-around player. He's been, you know, he's added in that three, which is great. He's a really good passer. And I just kind of, I never even questioned his, his ability to bruise down low and get easy buckets, and I guess, I guess he can shot yeah it, it's uh it's surprising you know again yeah as you said he's he seems he seemingly has pretty good touch and fundamentals but yeah it seems to be the one major weakness in his offensive game uh, but he's so good at everything else and and especially getting other blazers involved that he's been a he's definitely been a, a plus on offense especially compared to Hassan Whiteside but yeah, he just uh, anytime he gets contested around the rim, it's it's uh, usually like rimming out, or there, there's a couple times where he'll just shoot the ball over the rim completely, and you're like, what the heck? I have to keep an eye on that. That's pretty funny. Who do you think? Who do you think is going to play off the series? And assuming it's Portland. So, in that, uh, in the event that it's uh, the Lakers versus Portland, and this might surprise some people, you know, I, I've heard some people going crazy on Twitter suggesting that Portland might even be the favorites, which I do not agree with. Uh, but uh, I'm going to go Lakers in six. Okay. And are you leaning? Is that heavy or light on that? Are you thinking? If, yeah, I think it's closer. It's game? yeah, it's closer to being Lakers in five than Lakers in seven. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That is, we are we are kind of on different ends of the spectrum there. I'm, I'm like a soft Lakers for in Lakers and seven. Oh, okay. Just, the, the way I've seen LeBron play is just he hasn't played well, and I am. Uh, I mean, Anthony Davis is amazing, but I am maybe lower on him than most people. I think well, an amazing defensive player, but when I watch him on offense. And I think, okay, this is his, you know, this is his current matchup. This is who's guarding him. This is where the ball is. This is how much time is left on the clock. This is the score, whatever. I think he should probably do this. And then he always does something else. And like, I'm not saying that I'm like the, the a genius basketball player and everything I think should happen should happen. But every single time he does something, I think it's the wrong move. It's like a weird mid-range fadeaway. It's like a, a hook. He doesn't. Maybe he's not trying to, you know, attack off the dribble. He's just settling. And almost every time he has the ball, I think, that's that's not what I feel like he should have done. So I'm a little lower on AD. I think the Browns played pretty bad, but if you tell me that he's going to put up triple doubles and shoot amazing, again, not going to be surprised. And the Blazers just have the hottest player in the league right now, so I'm, I'm, I'm going Lakers, but I'm going Lakers in seven. 
Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, you know, if, if I had to base this purely on assuming that these teams are going to continue to play like they have in the bubble, yeah, I'd, I'd probably be more closer to, to your end of the spectrum. But given that Portland has has uh, has had to play in all of these really intense games the entire bubble, you know, feeling like they've had to win every game and playing every other day and, and they're going to have to play again on uh, on Saturday in a playing game and potentially a back-to-back on Sunday, if they lose that playing game to Memphis, um, so there's there's a decent chance that the Blazers are going to be pretty fatigued heading into that series, and and yeah, I just expect the Lakers to to come back to normal enough to with what we saw prior to the shutdown. That uh, I still think they're heavy favorites, especially considering just how poor the Blazers' defense is. Yeah, I mean, I I, I hope you're right because to be honest, Rocky. Watching this Lakers team, it hasn't particularly been fun. You know, they're not running much on offense. Their defense is a little lazy. Hopefully, it's just you know, don't get hurt, survive. We have the number one seed locked up. Let's just get to the playoffs and, and kick it into gear. Hopefully, that's what we see. Um, but if going based off these eight games, I kind of see it going to seven games. But. Uh, so that's the one. That's the one eight potential. Well, yeah, I, I had one. I had one more. I had one more thing to say based on based on that. Yeah, the um, again, kind of uh, arguing on your behalf here for the Blazers making it a very competitive series and, and potentially winning. You know, you talk about you know the Lakers have shot really poorly from three really all season. I think they were 18th in three point percentage over the course of the full year, and they've been even worse in the bubble. But if they're not making threes. Uh, you know, the, the the Blazers' defense might be able to just get away with leaving guys wide open <laughs> like they have all uh, uh, all this time in Orlando. and and intentionally leaving guys wide open. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Damian Lillard is the, is the one guy, you know, with the Lakers playing that traditional center in that drop-back scheme. Lillard might be able to force the Lakers to, to go away from the, from the likes of McGee and Howard. And if they if they can do that, especially with the Lakers not having Rondo likely for the first round, uh, and and force the Lakers to go small, the LA doesn't have much depth there. So yeah, there there are some genuine things that uh, that I think Portland can can look to and say, you know, we've we've got an edge. And, and yeah, the way Dame has been playing, he could theoretically outduel LeBron in in a matchup. All right, so let's move on to the the next series, which would be the three six, which is Denver versus Utah. So who do you like in this one, Frankie? I actually, this is my, my biggest, or my most lopsided series. I think the Nuggets are going to win it in five. I'm, I'm right with you. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's underrated, I mean, Jokic is the face of the Nuggets, but it is incredible how much athleticism they have on that team. They're just, they're, everybody besides Jokic just flies around and then Jokic is just precise with all his passing. He's, he's you know, a smart defender, at least. And I think he's been somebody who has had no issues with Rudy Gobert. So that kind of neutralizes you know, Rudy if he can keep that up. The athleticism is crazy. And uh, kind of a, a separate point, I think the series is going to be great for Jamal Murray because I'm liking the way Mike Conley's playing. He's a veteran. He's a smart player. He's been good in the playoffs, and he's been good in this bubble. And I think for Jamal Murray going against him, I think it's going to really elevate his game as well, just through 
you know, the same way Luca, I think, is going to benefit from going against Kawhi and Paul George for however many games, I think Jamal Murray is going to benefit from going against Mike Conley. Yeah, and uh, we, we can't talk about the Nuggets without talking about Michael Porter Jr. The guy has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I think his play in the bubble is legit and that that's going to transfer to the playoffs as well. And, you know, the watching Denver in last year's postseason, you know, struggle through seven games against the Spurs and then losing seven to the Blazers, uh, you know, watching those games, it's like, okay, Jokic is doing everything. You know, he's playing really well. He's scoring the ball himself. He's setting up his teammates. But the Nuggets just could not hit an open look to save their lives. Um, having Porter Jr., a sniper from the three-point line out on the floor, I think that um, that's going to be really helpful. And, and oftentimes I feel like shooting, uh, you know, is, is kind of contagious. Um, and, you know, the likes of J- uh, Jeremy Grant, a new addition this year, he's been shooting the ball incredibly well. He brings that athleticism you talked about. I've even liked the play of, of P.J. Dozier. I think he could be a guy off the bench that provides a little passing, playmaking, and, and yeah, skinny Jokic uh, looks looks as good as ever out there. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fun team. And, yeah, like you brought up the, the seven-game series against the Blazers. It was, you have to run everything through, through Jokic, and that's tiring. And, you know, now that you have MPG, he can just he can create his own shot. He can, uh, he's a great catch-and-shoot shooter. And really, he's, he's 6'10". He's got a high release, so it almost doesn't really matter if the defense is on him. I feel like there's a, the same chance of the ball going in regardless of how good the defense is, and that's that's you know a unique thing for a player. Not everybody had KP, you know, Dirk in his days, Michael Porter Jr. These tall guys, you can't really affect their shots. It's much easier to get off in, in all these high stress situations. So, yeah, I think I think it'll be a less exciting series than we think. Um, I don't know. Do you, who do you think on um, Utah can maybe maybe pull it closer? I don't know if you if you have high high hopes for for Spider Mitchell. Yeah, it's it's going to be tough. You know the the way the way Denver plays defense. You know trapping the ball is going to take away a lot of those opportunities for Mitchell, and it's going to rely on the Utah's team shooting and and ball movement. And and without Bogdanovich, they they lack a little bit of shooting out there and. And also, the without Bogdanovich, the bench has been has been really poor for the Jazz, and that's something that I think is is a strength for Denver. And you mentioned it right from the right from the jump that the fact that Jokic isn't really hampered by Gobert, and in fact, I think Jokic's presence hurts Gobert's value because you've got to press up on Jokic because he's this just a brilliant passer, and he also is capable of hitting threes, uh, and and that just takes Gobert away from the bucket. And yeah, it's a, it really seems like a poor matchup for for uh, for the Jazz, and that's before we even mentioned that that Gary Harris might come back at some point, and and his defense on Mitchell might cause some problems. Yeah, this might be a this might be a sad reality for the Jazz, who the last couple of years have you know kind of held on to the idea that the Rockets are their kryptonite, and this year they might just have to realize that they're not that good. Yeah, it was just a real bummer that Bogdanovich got hurt because uh, you know he was he's such a crucial player for them, averaging around twenty points per game, providing that spacing and secondary playmaking. Uh, yeah, just just too bad, and obviously they 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 spent a ton of their cap space on him. So 
A little bit, yeah, just too bad that he's not going to be available. But, uh, yeah, I think that's going to be their undoing. So uh, we both agree that it'll be Denver in five. So then we've got one more Western Conference series to discuss, and that is the 4-5 matchup, the Oklahoma City Thunder against the Houston Rockets. And the first thing to uh, to break down in this series, which I thought was, was really funny and a bit ironic, was, you know, the... The Rockets traded Chris Paul, this player that uh, can't seem to stay healthy when it matters, for the supposed more durable star and younger star in Russell Westbrook. And then coming into this uh, 2020 first-round matchup, Chris Paul is completely healthy and playing great basketball, and Russell Westbrook is dealing with a, a, a quad strain. Yeah, life is funny like that, right? It's, I mean, I guess you could make it up. Because you can make up pretty much anything, but it's just—it's ridiculous that this is happening. It's ridiculous, and Chris Paul's like—he's not just playing good basketball; he's playing amazing basketball. He's been playing amazing basketball all year. Granted, Westbrook was also playing great, but the best ability is availability, and Westbrook—I don't think as of now they haven't said how long he's going to be out, have they? They—they they just said that he's going to miss the start of the series, whatever that means. So who do you who do you think is going to pull it off? What do you think the, the series is going to be? Let's assume he's going to miss. Uh, let's assume he's going to miss two games. Yeah, if he's missing two, I've got Thunder and seven. Thunder and seven. Okay, make make your case. So, you know the the Rockets obviously play this switching style. I think uh, the fact that they play small ball with PJ Tucker at the five, Stephen Adams is going to cause major issues on the offensive glass. They, and, you know, the the big weakness for Oklahoma City defensively is the fact that they play three guards, essentially, in, in their best five-man lineups, that uh, Schroeder, uh, Paul, and uh, Gilgis Alexander together with, with Gallo and, and Steven Adams. And the biggest issue with that lineup is you don't have an elite wing to throw at, uh, at the, the best wings in the sport, but the Rockets don't have that. They've got guards that are their best players. Uh, and and the, the Thunder have all three of those point guards that play a lot of minutes are able to attack in isolation and, and are, are reasonably good at it. Uh, so so I see them picking quite a bit on the likes of, of a James Harden, especially if James Harden's having to uh, having to carry such a, a large offensive load without rust to, to start. And, and, you know, we're not even talking about the fact that Eric Gordon is just coming back and he's been a notoriously slow starter, you know, getting up to speed. And uh, I would I would be surprised if he had a particularly good series shooting the basketball. Yeah, I mean, those everything you said I can easily see happening. I think this is uh, so. I I'll get it out of the way early. I have the Rockets winning in six. Okay. So you have Thunder in seven. I have Rockets in six. And it's kind of I'm just taking the flip side of the coin on a lot of those points. Where I mean, the, the Thunder, I, the Rockets rather have been okay giving up tons of rebounds. They've been losing the rebounding battle almost every game. Where their, you know, small ball switching style is hurting them is when there's an offensive-minded scorer who is a big on the opposing team. And as much as I love Steven Adams as a player in general, he's just not that type of scorer who's going to fill it up. But you're right. I mean, it'll be impressive to see how many offensive rebounds he can pull out. Yeah. Um, And I... I think the, the main reason I'm going with the Rockets is because I think James Harden is just playing incredible. I think there have been so many breakout players 
and then Devin Booker in the Suns, and Damian Lillard's performances. It's gone underrated how well James Harden has played, especially these last three games. And if you watch, he's he's getting everything he wants. He's shooting efficiently, and he's he just seems to have an extra burst in his step, which probably due to you know not having to carry a team for for five months in a row. He's he's had some time off, which you know for him is probably really great. So I just I don't see anybody being able to stop James Harden. He's he's just that good. This series, he's gonna. He wants to prove that he is better than Chris Paul. That he made the right decision, and I think he's gonna come out firing. And I think he's gonna play great. But if anybody can stop him, it's it's CP3 because he's one of the smartest players I've ever seen play. Yeah, I mean James Harden is uh, again. It's it's kind of boring to say that the the best player on the floor is the X factor as well. But he kind of is. Yeah. You know, if he's hitting forty percent of his step back threes, and uh, you know, it's it's gonna be a major problem. The, 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 the thing for me, too, though, you know, in in the Thunder's favor is, especially without Westbrook there, you know, that, that trapping of Harden might be a little bit more effective, especially if the likes of Robert Covington, I think, is shooting like 20% from three in the bubble, and, uh, and Eric Gordon in his first game back went one for nine from three. If those guys aren't hitting the shots out of those uh, Harden doubles, then OKC will just continue to do it, and, uh, you know... Basically, throw up the the uh, the white flag and say, you know, we can't guard him, but uh, let's make everyone else on this roster try to beat us instead. Yeah, and I wish that the Rockets played some level of offense that involved intricate plays. I mean, it's give James Harden the ball, space out, and then if he throws the ball, shoot it. If they had these intricate offensive plays, watching Chris Paul call them out the entire game. <laughs> would have just been fascinating television. It's it's a little frustrating. We're not going to get that. I'm hoping that he guards him at, at you know at some crucial possessions and just you know reads certain body language just from playing with him the last couple of years and knows exactly what to do. I think that's that's probably the most of the Chris Paul genius that we're going to get. But the, the no plays for the Rockets is is a sad is a sad thing missing. Is a sad missing piece. Yeah, I mean, aside from the the series we we talked about the most with uh, with Dallas and the Clippers, you know, this this OKC Houston ra- matchup is the is the series in the West I'm most excited about. Uh, so this, yeah, this will be a heck of a lot of fun. Well, Frankie, I've I've had you on long enough. I appreciate you uh, you coming on as always. Thanks so much for for taking the time. Yeah, not at all. I love coming on. It's great talking to you. Uh, sounds like everything's going well. Uh, oh, also. Wanted to give a little shout out. You brought up, uh, you know, some some former SBC folks. Ryan Edwards, good buddy of mine from SBC, just got his, his citizenship in Australia about maybe yesterday, two days ago. So congratulations to him if he's listening. I think he usually does. So congratulations, Ryan. Yes, I saw that on Facebook. I was really happy. I, I also saw he did a uh, a uh, it was a YouTube video called "Living in Aussie" or or Aussie Living, yeah, something yeah, like that, yeah. and that was. That was really fun to see, but yeah, uh, I'll uh, I'll echo those thoughts. Congratulations, Riot, if you're if you're listening. But uh, yeah, again, uh, Frankie, thanks so much for for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review, preferably five stars. And uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. 
We are also on Spotify, so uh, you can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be uh, tweeting various uh, NBA thoughts as well as some, some thoughts on some other uh, interests of mine, including soccer and film and television. So uh, if you're looking for some of my takes throughout the, the course of the week, you can find me there. You can find my co-host Corbin Ford on Twitter at CorbinNBA. That's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. So uh, he, uh, he does, a, d- does a good job on Twitter as well. He's very active. Uh, Corbin also is the site expert for the fan-sided website Valley of the Sun, which talks all things Phoenix Suns, so you can check out uh, what he's doing there. I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers, so if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please... I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for, for listening, and have a great rest of your day.